0: Thank you.
1: the total soccer show this is the weekend review my name is ryan bailey and joining me today for a little ramble around the biggest matches of the weekend is a man who hopefully had a better weekend than the palaces the crystal one and the royal one <laughs> taylor rockwell hello i had i had an okay one i was a little bit under the weather uh,
2: but then feeling slightly groggy and getting screamed at to start the show really has me electrified i'm good to go now that was a great introduction my friend did I scream? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to scream. <laughs> it was,
1: the volume went up. The volume went up, and I'm here for it. I enjoyed it. Let's get to it. Adjusting microphone, adjusting <laughs> microphone, and there we go. Joining Taylor and I is a man who shares a city with the title winning Stephen Gerrard. It's Graham Ruthven. Graham, how are you?
3: Not bad. That's the first time that's ever been said about Stephen Gerrard. It's a it's a brand new day for <laughs> This Does Not Slip, Mr. This Does Not Slip. <laughs> Ryan, right, I felt I was a bit sharp with you last week, so I'm going to try and be a bit softer today, unless you ask me about VR again, in which case I'm going to be even sharper. So <laughs> you're being warned. No <laughs> VR questions.
1: Yep, yep, it's just taking off the running order now. Backspace, delete, delete, <laughs> delete, delete, delete. There we go. Um, very good. Yeah, so tell us about Glasgow at the moment, um, Graham. Has is it, is it been a light with the Rangers' first title in 10 years and Stevie G's first in 40 years? I imagine you were in, in the street parades over the weekend, <laughs> you know, very closely uh, surrounded by other Glaswegians and uh, uh, shouting and spitting each other's mouths or whatever they were doing.
3: Yeah, licking each other's faces and all those sort of things you should be doing in in COVID times. No, I was one of the people watching on uh, disapprovingly on like the city CCTV cameras they have online and tutting, as uh, <laughs> yeah, there were way too many fans in George Square for my liking. But I, I moved out to the suburbs before Christmas, and and there were uh, there were even fireworks last night over here. And this is not what I signed up for out <laughs> here. I signed up for the quiet life uh but yes it, it was, i mean it's it's it is a bit of a shame that like you know rangers fans haven't been in a whole a game all season to watch their team win the title this is what they've been building towards for 10 years and um yeah they've been the best team in the country by a long long way this season so well deserved for mr gerrard and his players graham what
2: percentage of your weekend was spent uh shaking your fist at children walking near and or on your lawn
3: <laughs> uh, well, not any more than any ordinary weekend, to be honest. <laughs>
1: That's
3: a perfect answer.
1: What's um, Graham? What's the split like between uh, Rangers and Celtic fans in Glasgow? Would it be as noisy if Celtic had won their billionth title in a row?
3: Yeah, it would have. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's 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 difficult to stress. Like I know it's a cliche and everything about Celtic and Rangers, but it it, it goes beyond football in a way that it, it's it you you know how people are defined by their politics and their outlook in life and, and Celtic Rangers kind of fits into that in Glasgow like you can kind of determine what a person is like by the stereotypes around the team they support a little bit and what they what they believe in the things like that so it's, 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 it's very much a split down the city and if Celtic had made it 10 in a row because obviously that was the other side of this was Celtic were going for their 10th title in a row no team has ever done that in Scottish football it, was, it became this big thing and they've been singing about it for years then yeah there would have been green and white fireworks uh, last night instead of uh, blue and red ones. But Graham, I've always wondered that. Uh, sorry, Ryan, I,
2: I have more uh, Celtic questions. Because like, they, they, winning nine in a row, like that ninth one, is there still that level of frivolity that there was for the first? Like, Or every year, does it dissipate a little bit?
3: No, it, for for ninth it, up until the ninth one, it wouldn't have been the same every year. But just because the tenth was such a, it didn't I matter see. who won the title this season. There was going to be like a big party. Either it was going to be mm-hmm. Rangers having stopped Celtic, which is what happened, or it was going to be Celtic celebrating this this ten in a row. And and, and I think it's like I think Juventus are going for ten in a row this year. But for for some reason, <laughs> no, they're for not. some reason, well, yeah, <laughs> that's fallen apart. You know, there's <laughs> there's uh, some similarities there, but for some. <laughs> For some reason, I I get the sense in Italy it's not it's not kind of this the same big sort Mm -hmm. of milestone it is in Scotland. I think it's because there's been two great teams that have managed it before have managed nine before in Scotland and have always fallen at the tenth. So it's become this big thing and Celtic have continued the trend. And then
2: my final question about this one. We do have an old-firm diary coming up. Does this mean Rangers
3: get a Guard of Honor, or do we think we'll avoid that? (laughs) You've just touched on what is going to dominate the agenda for the next few weeks. And honestly, I would prefer Royal Family Chat to it than than Guard of Honor Chat. All
2: right, in that case, Graham, let's let's rank them. VAR Chat, Royal Family Chat, (laughs) uh, Guard of Honor Chat. In in order...
3: VR that's still top of the table of and and they don't ask me <laughs> then, then then royal family in in the middle and then and then uh, okay. i guess guard of honor <laughs> well uh, all the same
1: congratulations to rangers uh, winning uh, the first title in 10 years in a two horse race is quite an achievement for them uh, congratulations to them congratulations to uh, scotland first minister Nicola Sturgeon, who's going to have some uh, issues on her hand with all those celebrations in the streets, I imagine. Fun times ahead for (laughs) Glasgow. Um, We've got plenty of games to talk about besides uh, Scottish ones on the show today. Manchester City uh, facing Manchester United in the Manchester derby. Of course, we're going to talk about Liverpool having issues against Fulham. And we've got the Madrid derby and Der Classica coming up on the show. Gentlemen, why don't we start off in manchester which is apparently red again um it's been blue for a while maybe just for this weekend taylor it's red uh what did you make of this game taylor as a manchester united fan um ollie got the game plan right essentially I mean,
2: yeah, I'm assuming the game plan was to draw a penalty inside the first minute, in which case, yes, he definitely got that right. Uh, For as many no-no draws as we've had to talk about on this show, I was sort of mentally prepared for that to be the case. So that we have goals to talk about, I'm excited about that they were red goals (laughs) instead of light blue goals, also makes me very happy.
1: So, uh, but in terms of what Manchester United did, I mean, we, mm-hmm. you could talk about what uh, McTominay and Fred did in terms of you know um, sort of playing a bit wider. Or uh, why don't we talk about also, and also Anthony Martial playing up top, uh-huh. which is a, a bone of contention among the TSS crew. <laughs> sure, uh,
2: I think I think a couple of different things uh, Ole did and Man United did was to set up a little bit higher to frustrate City further up the field or at least attempt to. And that is where I think I'm somewhere in between on the Anthony Martial uh, radar. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said he was man of the match. I had my frustration. With him, my men United supporting friends said I was crazy for feeling that way. But I think part of that is the defensive plan that United were really trying to split the field in half. Then, once they kind of lock City into one side, press in, uh, limit options, and like not basically let City play out of the back the way they'd like to. I think they did that mostly well. On a few occasions, I felt like Anthony Martial overcommitted or undercommitted and was easily bypassed and sort of left opportunities for City to play out of that press. Uh, but maybe that's a bit nitpicky because I also think, given that he drew the penalty, uh, I think had like an 85% pass completion rate, took a lot of people on, won a lot of challenges. I think this is probably one of his better performances this season at the same time.
1: Well, that that picture of Martial when he's surrounded by the City players and being sort of robustly felled by Gabriel yeah. Jesus, it, does, it did remind me of that picture of Maradona against Belgium where he had all the uh, Belgians <laughs> around him. So it was, that was quite a spectacular image for one. But uh, I sort of had this you know, feeling that Martial didn't play a great game. He had that great one-on-one late on in the game, which he sort of messed mm. up. But the feeling amongst Oli and uh, you two is that he played very well.
3: Yeah, yeah, I, I thought this was his best game in a long time, and admittedly, the the bar is pretty low. So I, I we, yep. we spoke about it before we, 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 started the podcast. You know, Ryan, you, you're clearly on one end of the spectrum because your <laughs> your notes suggest hinted that you didn't think he played well, and I, I, was, I thought he played very well. I admit he, his final ball and his final product, and in particular his, his shooting, still wasn't great. There, there was that chance which um, kind of Scott McTominay. Can, you know that thing where players are now lining up behind the wall, like along the ground. <laughs> yeah. It was as if Scott McTominay did a moving one of those into Ruben Diaz, which I think he totally <laughs> meant, by the way, uh, to create this the shooting chance for Marshall. and Obviously, he, sh- he should score. You know, and and it, I think there was a header as well, which he should have done better with. But yeah. I just I just felt like this 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 um, counter attacking style suited him really well. The number of times, I mean, three or four times he. Wriggled away from a couple city players in the centre of the pitch, and and then it, it, he had you know it, it was quite common for him to surge into the opposition half and and have options either side, and that was pretty crucial to to the way Man United uh, got through this game and what and what worked for them really well. So yeah, I thought this was a performance that showed that he's worth uh, worth persevering with. I don't think it proved he is the the long term answer to Man United in, in the number nine position, but I, I think he's certainly worth having around for those qualities that he brings.
2: And I think I think the thing that Graham has kind of hit upon there is like. For how maligned he's been this season, for how many questions there have been about should it be Cavani, should it be Rashford starting up top, maybe Mason Greenwood should be the center striker for mm. Manchester United. I think that he had a an overall very solid game. I think he had that the uh, high-profile instep. I agree with Graham that header was also not great, even if the commentators tried to argue that there was nothing he could do. There's no way to get power behind a soft cross. Not sure that's true. I think neck muscles disagree. <laughs> but I think those two instances aside, and they're kind of high-profile, I thought everything else he did, for the, for the most part, was pretty solid, did really well with the holdup and he and did, and did for the most part I think w- work his socks off there were a few moments when he thought he was going to get fouled and I would see him sort of stand up and stare at the referee as the ball literally went right by him so I still have those like uh, those little frustrations with him but I think that it was so much better than he's been at other times this season is why I think I and maybe Graham are a bit more positive
1: yeah, that's completely fair enough. And I think it was a very impressive uh, performance from Manchester United. I was very impressed with the back line as well. They looked very disciplined whenever City mm-hmm. went forward. Yeah. It was like that, that whole thing of pushing to the byline and cutting the ball back that City do all the time. It didn't quite work in this game. And that was uh, full credit to the Man United back line for that. And they looked very resilient throughout this game. Is it that they just uh, just had the blueprint on how to play City here? You, you, uh, they don't like it up them, is what they say, um, Graham. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well yeah I mean this, this is I think Solskjaer's won all three league games he's played mm-hmm. at the head-to-head right. against City and in the Premier League he has the highest win percentage I think of any manager against Pep Guardiola City so uh, the, the the sample size now is too big for this to be a fluke you know people like to call Solskjaer a Norwegian PE teacher apparently he's not much <laughs> of a tactician but he there is something here I mean in the cliche book you would say he's got Pep's number a little bit in these games and, and I do wonder why Guardiola isn't trying something different a little bit. I mean, all three of these home games they played against Manchester United in, in, in the league or Solskjaer's Man United, I should say, have gone pretty much the same way. And and I thought him bringing in De Bruyne over uh, Bernardo Silva was was a strange move because one of the things you don't want Man United you don't want to give Manchester United the opportunity to sit deep and hit in the counter-attack and as good a player as De Bruyne is, not having Bernardo and Gundogan, uh breaking the lines as they have been in recent weeks makes them easier to play against because you you you're can just sit in that low defensive block and, and they, they just asked De Bruyne to, to kind of pick them open, which he found difficult to do. So it was almost like, again, Guardiola playing into Manetti's hands and, and, I, I, it was just a little bit of a, a, a strange performance for me. Go, going back to my United's performance, um, I think we have to mention Dean Henderson, um, who yeah. you know, he he didn't. Ha- you wouldn't say he pulled off any magnificent saves. He still faced six shots on target, so he still had work to do. But I felt there was just an assurance and a confidence about that United defence that hasn't always been there with the hair behind him. And I wonder whether it's just because. Henderson, with no fans in this game, you could hear him bellowing instructions. He's much more vocal than David De Gea. I think he's a more confident, verging on cocky character than David De Gea, which is an important quality for a goalkeeper. And I just think now with De Gea making mistakes this season and Henderson proving himself in such a big game and looking really rock solid, if he doesn't get a a run of games in United's first team now, I don't think he ever is. I think this is the chance for Solskjaer to give him a run of games and really see whether he can stand up to that test I was impressed by him yeah. It, it
2: does seem like that's the way it's going to go. I think is De Gea with his partner who is pregnant or about to give birth? She is yeah. Yeah, so I think that's why we saw Dean Henderson. But I, I agree with you, Graham. I think we'll continue to see him, not just because of like what he provides between the sticks, not just because he is that commanding presence, but also for moments, like we've talked a lot about teams being overly reliant on building out of the back. And that second goal, his, I'm giving him an assist, even though he doesn't technically get one. Just that it, it felt very much like, you know what, I'm just going to throw this 50 yards like pinpoint to a player. and. Instead of rolling it out to one of the center backs and we do the same old build out every time. I think, like, I'm sort of saying that in jest, but also seriously. That to bypass half the City team with one throw and put Mm -hmm. Luke Shaw in, it's a good touch from Luke Shaw to... To uh, to facilitate that, and Jao Cancelo maybe being a bit overly ambitious as well, but still, just that distribution also
1: very solid, very composed, very competent. Well, that that reminded me of Peter Schmeichel because you know Peter Schmeichel always used to do those long yeah. throws and, with his handball skills that he learned in Denmark. So that was that was very impressive from Henderson, who uh, you know Henderson for England, Euros, blah blah blah. But uh, very very impressive, very impressed with Shaw as well in this game, Taylor, um, mm-hmm. who is very much establishing himself as the best left back one of the best fullbacks uh in 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 the premier league at the moment and that that goal was uh, epitomized it but it's still weird to see someone with i don't want to be rude but his frame like mm-hmm. beating everybody for pace for <laughs> that kind carl, of goal carl anka uh
2: who's been on the show before uh tweeted this and it blew my mind if neither of you all saw this one do, do you all know how tall luke shaw is yeah
1: only because i've seen what yeah yeah but i didn't believe it either ryan did you see this I didn't see this. How tall do you think Luke Shaw is? Seven foot two. I have no idea. Like, like I, I genuinely, before I saw
2: this tweet, thought he was 5'9". He's six foot one. He oh, is, wow. And, I, and I think that's part of why he does look sort of strange, because he doesn't seem like he's that tall, but he is. Uh, and I guess maybe he's figured out how to deal with the mechanics of his six foot one frame, uh, because, yeah, we saw him look much more... I wouldn't even say much more confident on the ball, just that it it's that return to Luke Shaw. We've talked about before when Louis Van Hall says him getting injured is what stopped our entire attack for the entire season. and it's sort of like, really, your left back getting hurt. And then you do see it in this game where when he's confident when he feels like he can go and cause damage, he goes and causes damage.
1: And to think that Josie Mourinho kept him locked in a cage (laughs) under the training centre for for, for prolonged periods of time. Who would have thunk it? Who would have thunk it? Why don't we talk about Manchester City as well? Uh, Graham touched on it, and there's this perception that Pep Guardiola got it wrong here with mm-hmm. uh, Jesus starting and, and the out-of-form Kevin De Bruyne uh, uh, starting here, which is odd to think that Manchester City might not be at their best when including Kevin De Bruyne in, in their lineup here. But it, it did seem like they were doing Manchester City things with Cancelo you know, stepping up from his position to join midfield. We've seen that many, many times recently. And Gundogan doing his wandering Gundogan thing. And you look at the, the, the statistics, 23 shots to eight. Um, you know, 65% possession that Man City had here. Was it simply Taylor that the, the final, the final pass and the final shot let them down a bit here? Because the stats were with them for the most part.
2: I think the key one that I saw that was against them would be expected goals where I think it was two point something to one point something. And I think what that indicates is Manchester United got themselves in in better, more high like high percentage scoring positions, whereas city, I think were're taking lower percentage chances. And I think that does speak volumes up. Maybe it's an out of form Kevin O'Brien. It's also about the kind of defensive solidarity of this Manchester United team. In the beginning, though, like maybe this is lazy. and I don't mean to put it like, For it to be. But it did kind of stand out to me as this game is played immediately after Liverpool have once again lost. I think if you're a Man City player, there probably is that feeling of like, oh, well, we've won the title like that. that, Like going into this game, I think there probably is a the narrative about Man United is they're not scoring. Are are they in free fall? Are we going to have a top four race? Who is going to even be in the top four? But obviously Man City are going to win the title. And if you're a player hearing all that and then walking onto this field, I think there's something to be said for, like, ah, we got this, no problem. And I think it's why. Gabriel Jesus is diving in when he absolutely doesn't need to be 30 seconds into the game, and I think he's desperate to make up for it for the rest of the game. But there was a a complacency about City early on that was so at odds with what I've come to expect from them under Pep Guardiola that that's kind of the only way I can explain it, not being really up for the opening moments of a Manchester derby.
1: I do wonder if there was an element of, yeah, hands already on the trophy. Let's just get this done. Well, it was the best possible time to lose the derby to Manchester United, really, with with yeah. uh, United essentially uh, giving up their claim to the title a few weeks back. So, <laughs> yeah. in in that sense, it's you know the, the, you could argue that the streak that Man City are on had to end at some time. So, why not yes. at this point, right, Graham?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult to be too critical of City given that yeah. they've won 21 games in a row in all competitions. <laughs> like, a, 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 an historically good run of wins. Um, yeah, so, I, I mean, I, I get what Taylor's saying about complacency, and I, I, I think um, Roy Keane on, on Sky Sports over here had a real no, go no at... don't put me in the same boat as him. Oh, no. In typical Roy Keane fashion, he had a real go at Micah Richards. Or not a real go, it was, it was playful. But a go at Micah Richards for um, basically being quite cocky before the game. Mm-hmm. I also saw a poll from the Manchester Evening New- News, which had... 95 uh, percent of Man City fans saying that they, they were going to win by two clear go- two goals or more, hey. um, and Andy Mitten tweeting, uh, who who writes for the Athletic, of course, Andy Mitten, who is a, a United kind of focus writer, t- tweeting that a few of his pals had put on six 0 seven 0 and nine 0 Manchester wow. City. Um, so yeah, I think there was a little bit of complacency, but I, I, I think maybe that the bigger factor was the, the change of system with with Jesus and and De Bruyne coming yeah. in. And yeah. I, I tweeted a few weeks ago that I didn't I didn't or I think I might have actually written an article on it. I didn't think the the whole kind of rotating midfielder false nine system that City had, it felt to me like it, it it moved beyond a short-term solution. And actually, I felt like that was got the best out of this Manchester City squad. And I didn't see anything in this game where obviously they played with a more orthodox um, kind of pace-setting midfielder in De Bruyne and a more orthodox centre-forward in Jesus. I, I didn't see anything here that changed my mind.
1: Yeah, so an interesting game, this one, for sure. I, I'm still quite baffled at how Manchester United go from that midweek game against Palace in the Fog to this performance, but there we go. I think my I mean, only... Go on, I, I can
2: I can say like, it does feel like they are a team that just completely plays to their opponent. That if they're playing Istanbul with Shakhtar here, they commit everybody for it and don't leave anybody at the back and get countered on easily. But then against Man City, they sort of raise their game to that level. Mm. Uh, they, they don't seem to be very good at controlling the way the game is going to go. I don't think, to your initial point, I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is good for this team. I don't necessarily know if he is elevating some of the performances. And so when they're going up against a squad that are sitting deeper, to some extent I would argue like maybe Man City should have just sat deep and countered, and I don't know if United would have been able to handle that or figured it out. But I think when they're playing a team, it's the age-old adage of like that they're going to have more of the ball, they're going to be going at you, it plays into Manchester United sitting and countering, and that's where... I would argue that's where the penalty sort of comes from. That's certainly where the second goal comes from. So to some extent, I think it's raising their game to the quality of the opponent. And to some extent, I think it's being allowed to play a bit more of a style that's comfortable to Manchester United.
1: Well, uh, let's all just be thankful this wasn't another big six nil-nil. got a couple of goals out of this game. Let's all be grateful for that. One other thing I wanted to pick up on before we move on from this. Uh, Graham sent a tweet a little while ago saying, isn't it funny how um, all Premier League Um, players their hair doesn't grow because uh, hairdressers in the UK have been closed for some time Hmm. and then I looked at Ilkay Gundogan I think he's been sticking to the rules Graham
3: yeah I noticed that as well he's the only one he's the only one I did hear that um, Premier League teams have been bringing barbers into their bubble which got me wondering like who else could you bring into the bubble to make life like like a little bit like tattoo artists Yeah, tattoo artists, yeah, exactly. That'd be top of the list for Premier League footballers, yeah.
1: Uh, (laughs) Tattoo artists, uh, luxury watch salesmen, car dealership people. Oh, yeah, all all the people. The bubble is big. I'm sure the bubble is very big for these guys. Anyway, uh, that's uh, the Manchester Derby taken care of. Right after these messages, we'll be talking about Liverpool's time against Fulham.
2: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover... Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to michelobultracom courtside to learn more.
1: We are back. Anfield in 2021 is still very much a fortress. But for away teams now. Liverpool's sixth straight home <laughs> defeat coming at the hands of relegation-threatened Fulham. Uh, a very interesting relegation race we have now. Where do we start with this one? Liverpool, Taylor, making seven changes uh, over their mm-hmm. midweek game against Chelsea. We had a very interesting back line with, um, uh, with, with some inexperienced players back there with Williams and Phillips as the centre-backs and and, and the other Williams as right-back <laughs> there. That's the twen- for Phillips and Williams is the 20th centre-back pairing that Liverpool have had can we stop blaming tiago for everything now because he didn't feature here
2: <laughs> well i mean he didn't feature here and they lost so i feel like to some extent it is kind of his fault uh, if he had been on the field maybe they win so i think we should keep blaming tiago uh, <laughs> but i also think yeah th- there's probably a lot of different stuff going on with liverpool right now because it is also the case i saw a lot of liverpool fans very frustrated with the starting 11 and i can't tell if that was frustration because of the names that were there or the names that weren't there or maybe just the feeling that like a this Liverpool second team right now given all the injuries they've had but maybe with a little bit of a lack of quality investment it, like is that second team for Liverpool that much stronger than Fulham and i would argue that like you could look at man city certainly but maybe chelsea maybe even manchester united their second teams on the whole i think might might be stronger and that's not what you would have really expected of liverpool it's certainly not what i thought was the case but i think when you strip away some of those very key big performers, that Liverpool team does look a little bit more weak. And I think a Liverpool team that are very dependent on patterns and rotations and knowing when this player goes here, I go there. When the ball goes there, he goes there, I go here. If you have to have a little bit of delay in some of that decision-making, if you have new people coming in who aren't quite as familiar with where they need to be precisely on the field, it's going to take time. It's going to slow things down, and I feel like this was a game in which you could see the wheels turning for Liverpool, and you could see Fulham just playing with a lot more confidence, a lot more swagger, and I think that goes a long way towards explaining the final result.
1: Yeah, and Jurgen Klopp kind of admitting after the game that that Fulham wanted it more, or he was certainly led that way by the person he was being interviewed by in, in, in the post-match interview. It's interesting, Graham, because who, who do we blame? For this Liverpool situation, because you could blame, you know, not having a strong second team or not having a strong backup uh, uh, on people above Jurgen Klopp. Or, you know, is it is it the fact that, you know, the energy levels are quite low after so many years of heavy metal? They just want to play a bit of a soft ballad now. They they (laughs) want to go from Ride the Lightning to, you know, nothing else matters. They want to drop, drop the pace a little bit to uh, to use some Metallica references there. They're doing an acoustic album all of a sudden. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, un- unplugged.
3: Um, <laughs> Liverpool unplugged. That's what the DVD of this season is going to be called. <laughs> um, I, I honestly, it's got to the point where, and I know this is maybe not much use on a podcast, but I, I'm not totally sure what I've got to say about Liverpool anymore. It's got, it's got to that point where I'm, I'm out of explanations. That team. I mean, I know what you're saying, Taylor. Like, it, it, it particularly at the back. I mean that. That the the Williams mm-hmm. Phillips and then Nico Williams at right back. I mean that's that's not a a, a back line of of a team that won the title last mm-hmm. season. But I still feel like there is there's enough quality, particularly in the attack. And if, if Liverpool were had lost this game four three or something, you would you would maybe say well it's due to the, the lack of quality at the back. But they, they they haven't scored a you know the the the, the strongest part of this team. It's still an attack where, you know, they started with Jota and and, and Salah and uh, Jardin Sakiri and Sadio Mane came off the bench. And they weren't able to score a goal against a team in at, ho- at home against a team in the bottom three of the Premier League table. So I, I it's I think that the mm-hmm. most discouraging thing for Klopp is that he he made a, a lot of changes for this game, and I and I feel like he made a lot of changes just to try something different, just to freshen some something up, and hopefully stumble across something. And yet the performance he got was nothing dissimilar to what he's what he's had in recent weeks, and 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 that to me hints at. A, a culture in the dressing room which is really strange for Liverpool because that was their strength Previous in previous seasons Liverpool would take out a player put someone else in and the, the performance wouldn't drop the the, the kind of nature of the performance would be the same and you would attribute that to the the strength of the coaching and the strength of the culture at the club and and that just seems to have totally disappeared um and you know I, I do wonder if players feel a dread when they hear the drone of a plane hmm. over a stadium because uh. whatever is on that banner is you know you know it's not going to be good and 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 I, I know you always knew with liverpool it was going to be something uh overly emotive which which is exactly what it was i, I was hoping it was going to be stephen gerrard uh, with a banner that says give me the job i've won a league title now him waving <laughs> like out the G- plane like yeah, i was gonna say flying the plane <laughs> yeah awful. exactly yeah no not being dragged behind the plane like <laughs> in place yeah. of the banner <laughs> <laughs> flying the plane yeah.
1: i felt that um he wasn't sober enough to be flying a plane at that stage of the weekend to be fair to steven gerrard no what,
2: Was it a negative banner? I didn't
3: see. I heard the commentators say, like, oh, the um, passionate
2: Liverpool fans. You can always was, count them to have a word or something. It was
3: one of these things that doesn't mean anything. It was I something see. like unity is strength. Uh, you'll never walk alone or something like that, which uh, obviously, uh, you know, a ni- nice that's... little su- mess, mess of support, but means nothing. You know, it's not tactical advice. Klopp's going, give me some tactical advice, some formations on that <laughs> banner. It also
2: sounds like a third of the slogan from the fascist government in V for Vendetta. So that's good. I think it's like <laughs> unity through faith or something like that. There we yeah. go. Oh, I-, I wanted to throw out this like hypothesis and then have you all either agree or rip it apart. Feel free to choose whichever you want. Um, So I want to give credit to Reddit user hello underscore mate. That's terrific. Uh, Was recalling a Seth Fabregas uh,
1: interview he did with my life. I was going to bring this up. Yeah. All right. Yeah. About well, then go ahead, Ryan. You 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 can have it. I oh, know, please, please. I was just going to say, there was, a, there was a thing about Cesc Rebregas a while back what he said on Monday Night Football, right? I'll let yeah. you take it from there.
2: Yeah, it was basically uh, in his time with Barcelona when they had this prolonged winning streak and then had a downturn in form that there was this idea that you can forget how to lose games or you can forget once you lose how to win in a losing position. And that for Liverpool, I think that extends the idea that they're so used to being this kind of dominant team that teams are terrified of, that front three can't be contained Rips everybody apart, and when you lose a few key p- components and you stop performing to that degree, there becomes this feeling of like, wh- that used to work, why isn't that working anymore? And instead of fixing it, instead of having that rotation that Graham talked about, it's more dwelling on, this isn't working, why isn't this working? We should be scoring a goal, that should have gone in, and as soon as you're doing should have, could have, would have, you stop really taking control of the game a little bit. So I do wonder if there's an element of Liverpool have been so good for so long that when they do have a little bit of a downturn, it's harder to correct.
1: Yeah. It's wild to think, by the way, that Steven Gerrard is 40, and the next time Liverpool win the title, (laughs) he's going to be 70. (laughs) Amazing, isn't it? (laughs) But uh, are, we, are we to think that this is the end of the run for Jurgen Klopp? Um, there, there is all this talk about Steven Gerrard, obviously, but I'm not sure whether that's the direction they were going. But I think that it would be a huge like, mistake. It, I it think feels like they'll give him more mistake. time, right? They'll give him more, another, at least another season, wouldn't they?
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think we're at the point of... I mean, no. at Do- everyone is drawing comparisons to Dortmund in terms of results, but at Dortmund, it was a much more volatile situation where Klopp yep. had fallen out with the hierarchy of the, of the, of the club. There was suggestions mm. that the players weren't on side with them anymore. And I don't think there's any hint of that at Liverpool. It, it, when I talked about the culture of the dressing room, I, I didn't really mean to paint a picture of a volatile dressing room. I, I, I just mean something's not working in that in that group of players anymore. And I don't think we're at the point where Klopp is at risk of, of losing his job. But I, I do think Steve Gerrard will be Liverpool manager one day, just not for the start of next season.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think you're probably right there. Well, we've spent a lot of time at Liverpool. We should give... A lot of praise to Fulham for this performance. They were absolutely wonderful in this game. Um, it seems like they they sort of figured out... We talked about the blueprint a bit against playing Manchester City. They almost figured out the blueprint playing Liverpool here. They were, you know... All, all these diagonal balls to Lookman who seemed to um, be doing whatever he wants against Williams, the right back. Uh, you know, he had Marja sort of moving between the centre-backs with, with a lot of flair. The, the defensive discipline was excellent once again. I thought Anderson was wonderful in this game. Um, he, he's, uh, I think he had a couple of really good clearances in this and some really big interceptions. Very good at reading the incoming ball was Anderson in this game. And, I mean, Scott Parker deserves a bit of credit, doesn't he, Graham?
3: He does, but not for what he was wearing on the touchline. Which Which I I have no idea what was going on there, because normally Scott Parker's such a, you know, he's quite a sharply dressed guy. not not, You know, and, and I don't really know what was going on here. I mean, it was as if he was smuggling something underneath his, like, suit, I, I just can't even begin to explain. <laughs> Thankfully, his tactics were, were a lot better. And I thought this was a, a, a yeah, really good performance by Fulham. You mentioned Lukman there. Williams had all sorts of problems. Anderson, diagonal balls out from the back. Watching him do that, I was thinking that's what Liverpool are lacking, mm-hmm. someone, someone to do that. Yeah, um, And uh, the, the, their kind of front unit of uh, De Cordova, Reid, uh, Josh Maggia, and then, of course, Lukman, who I've already met, mentioned, they were fantastic. And, and Fulham's form... Um, is incredible recently. I mean, do you you know that they have only City, let me get this right, only Manchester City have conceded fewer Premier League goals since November 28th than Fulham, which is incredible considering the first, first maybe three or four games I watched Fulham, I thought they were on course to be another Derby County. They were conceding so many goals. I think I even tweeted something like, has a team ever smelled of relegation as much as this fulham team has and boy are they showing me but the other thing is you know i think they've won three of their last six games um they're unbeaten and away from home in their last eight games and yet they're still they're still in the bottom three hmm. like the hole that they've had to dig themselves out of is, is is quite incredible and i think the way they're going for me anyway if this continues obviously there's there's just no way they're going to go down i think brighton and newcastle are getting sucked in there well, that's I the thing is, it, Newcastle and Brighton must be very,
1: very worried about this because Fulham are only just in the bottom three still. And as you mentioned there, uh, Graham, incredible that they were, they were cut adrift later, like 10 points adrift not that long ago, and, and they were de- dead and buried. And I agree with you, watching those first few games of Fulham, it did look quite troubled. I remember the opening game of the season against Arsenal when uh, William ran wild on them. Um, and it, to, to go from that to this, very, very impressive, Taylor. William.
2: Ran wild on someone? Yeah, <laughs> I don't so remember. It's a long time. What well, it it happened? Doesn't
1: compute. I don't know what you're talking about. It
2: happened. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think if you compare this Fulham team to the, the the Fulham team that were relegated the last time they were in the Premier League, there is like still the style, there is still the substance, but there's also the fight. Like the one that stood out to me was I think in the first half, Mohamed Salah holds off two different people. Would have been a foul. Referee gives advantage. Liverpool still get an attack out of it. But like the strength you see from Mohamed Salah there contrasted with when he is pretty much bounced off the ball by Lamina for the goal. It is him trying to settle in volley clear. Like, it's not as though he was really up for the physical scrap, but I just thought Lamina kind of getting stuck in winning that ball was a good representation of this Fulham team that can play very pretty attacking soccer with lots of possession and quick transitions, but they can also just fight for the ball. They can get physical. Yeah. They can get They can get into those challenges, and I think that's the sort of substance you need when you're in this type of battle and yeah right now uh, on form with the way they've been playing with the talent they have i think they f- should feel confident if not safe obviously also still strange to me that josh Maja is an actual footballer because i am just used to him from Sunderland until i die <laughs> so it's still very strange to be like oh yeah he really does play soccer that's cool that's cool to see <laughs>
1: Is it like someone from Ted Lasso turning up on the field? I guess it's a kind of, yes. (laughs) It's like, oh, man, Stuart Donald's was right. They really should have found a way to hold on to you. Good
2: stuff. All right, gents. Any more from this game before we move on? Just that I saw a stat that Liverpool have the worst home record of any team in the top four divisions in England, which blew my mind, at least for 2021, I believe. Uh, So maybe not the start that they would have been hoping for.
1: That's not optimal. That's not optimal at all. Mm-mm. I would say it's suboptimal, in fact. Suboptimal, indeed, to, uh, to, uh, to use a phrase from uh, somewhere familiar. Anyway, let's uh, let's move on. Uh, after these uh, commercial messages, we're going to go continental with a bit of uh, German soccer.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone?
2: to have it both ways mac welder makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort
1: All right, gentlemen, another classica, another Dortmund collapse. Here comes the formula uh, by Munich winning 4-2 over Borussia Dortmund on Saturday. Uh, Borussia Dortmund taking a 2-0 lead in this one. This one billed very much as the uh, battle between Haaland and Lewandowski with the pole kind of coming out on top. In this one. Uh, Taylor, what, what, your first impressions of this game? Uh, was this just a, a typical case of uh, it, it being a carbon copy of the Bayern Dortmund rivalry with Dortmund, you know, starting off with dominance, failing to kill off the game, and then paying for that very hard? And then, like to add insult to injury at the end, I, I think
2: uh, Hansi Flick refusing to rule out that they might make a move for Erling Holland was a very, like, <laughs> and not only did we beat you, but we're going to take more of your players in your face. Uh, history repeats itself. Uh, it was also a strange game, like, jumping ahead a little bit to Atletico Real Madrid. Like, the weekend on the whole, like, things went to script to some extent. It was like, if I told you it was a one-to-one draw in the Madrid derby and asked you to guess the goal scorers, I feel like you would have your best guess would have been accurate. Here, if I said one team is going to have a forward who scores a brace and one team is going to have a forward who scores a hat-trick, you'd probably be able to figure that one out too. Uh, and so it feels right that it was Erling Haaland who gets the brace to, to send Dortmund up 2-0, and then not at all surprising that it's Robert Lewandowski to get the hat-trick to seal the win for Bayern Munich.
1: Yeah, and this was Bayern starting the day uh, second in the Bundesliga. Leipzig went uh, went top earlier on the day with a 3-0 win at Freiburg. Uh, but they very much shifted that momentum as they shifted the momentum in the uh, first half of this game as well. Uh, Robert Lewandowski uh, gunning for that record, um, Gerd Müller's record of 40 goals in a season in 71-72. He's got, what, nine games left to do it? He's on 31 goals at the moment. Uh, seven teams in the Bundesliga have scored less goals than Lewandowski. Lewandowski at this point. Schalke <laughs> have scored half of his tally. So that's a pretty uh, pretty impressive stuff from uh, R- Robbie Lewandowski there. Uh, Graham, what did you make of Bayern Munich's performance?
3: Yeah, I mean, it totally went to script. I mean, there's there's a moment in the first half where Dortmund are 2-0 up and Thomas Meunier is, is through on goal pretty much. He's in the box. I think he's about eight yards out or something like that. Instead of taking the shot on himself, he decides to pass into to Haaland, who's on a hat trick, obviously, but the interceptions made, there's, the pass wasn't really on. And despite the fact Dortmund are two 0 up and flying at this point, I, you just knew, you just knew that was the moment. <laughs> you just knew. I mean, watching it, going, ah, oh, no, well, that's Bayern Munich, one, then, isn't it? And sure enough, five minutes later, Sani puts it on a on a, on a plate for, for Lewandowski, and 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 they're back in the game. But um, yeah. I, I thought there was, I know, I know, look, they've they've, they've collapsed at the home of their greatest rivals, but. You know, this season's not a normal season for Borussia Dortmund. They're they're building for next season, and so given the fact that they were without, um I'm trying to think of the players they were without. There was no Jadon Sancho, uh, Rafael Guerrero wasn't there. Obviously, Vitzko yeah. uh, is out. Injured. How dare you not mention Giorena first for <laughs> Gio, and foremost? Gio, no, Gio Englishman Reina, Gio Reyna. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Englishman Gio Reyna. and uh, I I'll as fight well. you both. <laughs> <laughs> Akanji uh, also (laughs) out injured as well. So I I, I think there was encouragement to take from the game, despite the fact that... I mean, in the second half, Haaland gets a little bit of a knock. I'm hoping he's not injured for the Champions League this week, by the way, because that would be a disappointment. But, um, you know, they... Dortmund bring on uh, Tevez, who is a, a high, highly rated youngster and is a little bit like a Haaland light, a light yeah. version of Erling Haaland. Yeah. but you know he's he's not proven at this level, and and yet you know minutes later, Bayern Munich, I think, take off Kingsley Coleman and put on Serge Gnabry, and that kind of tells you all you need to know about these two teams, and the result, uh, you know, was aligned with that. Yes. It did feel. It did feel. I just have to say, it did feel like D. K. is coming on because I'm not as familiar
2: with him. So to see him sub on, it felt like they were like uh, another guy who looks like Erling Holland. Get on the field, like, yeah. like do the same stuff, please.
1: <laughs> well, he has kind of played that role before as well, and he has had some very impressive performances in cameo roles this season as well. But with um, uh, Dortmund making four changes from their previous game here, they won their previous four games as well. You'd expect them to start out strong, and they did look pretty dangerous on the break throughout this game, but. At that point when Tigges and Brandt came on, well, that was about the hour mark, wasn't it? And Hazard and Haaland going off. It felt to me for that last half an hour that Dortmund didn't really have the threat. They didn't have that focal point in Haaland up top. And that really kind of changed any, any, uh, any thoughts of them taking the lead and, and getting, getting back in the lead in this game. Graham, you with me on that one?
3: Yeah, I mean, Erling Haaland, for me, I have this theory that it doesn't really matter where Erling Haaland goes. He's going to make a team successful. So I, I, I know I'm kind of shifting the target of, of the discussion a little bit here, but pe- people talk about, well, Manchester United need a central defender more than they need a striker. Hmm. But I just have this feeling that if United go and get Erling Haaland, they're going to challenge for the Premier League title. That's how good he is. So I, I, Dortmund don't have the the system and the infrastructure to kind of cope without him just because he is a one-man Goal machine, and without him, um yeah, I, I agree. The, the final yeah. thirty minutes of this game really felt like they were just lacking purpose. They lo- they lost their way. They don't have that player to play off and off and play into. And um he was injured obviously over Christmas, and we saw Highland and we saw the difference in Dortmund over that period as well. Where I think yeah. uh, Lucien Favre lost his job. So yeah, he 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 makes this team in in every way. Without without cursing,
2: like he's an like an oh no player that like like when he has the ball, if you're the if you're the opposition team, uh, th- there is that like uh, we gotta get two guys on him. Everybody like worry about this player, and as soon as he's off the field, you don't have that threat. You don't have that sort of constant, persistent concern about this goal scorer who can score from a shot from a low angle that takes a deflection and still goes inside netting and doesn't seem to have been deterred that much. Like once he's removed, I think there is. An element of like, okay, we can dictate the game a little bit more. We don't have to worry about this as much. And in contrast to that, I don't know how long it's been since either of you played FIFA, but there are those times when you're playing FIFA when the AI just decides like we're they're going to score a goal. There's nothing you can do. You cannot stop it. And that is Robert Lewandowski. Like it does not matter if you mark him with two ple- two people, if you keep him outside the box, if you yeah. limit his chances, he will find a way to score. And I think that he's on the field throughout that ninety is a big part of why they have that fight back. He is always such a threat that even if you are super focused on him, it then opens up opportunities for players like Thomas Muller or Leon Goretzka. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes a long way in my mind towards explaining what happens in the latter portions of this game, that you have Bayern Munich getting stronger, making the subs that Graham mentioned, and putting themselves in a stronger position. And Dortmund, I think, having to react a bit more, having to try to get some control back in. And then once you're sort of trying to restate your strength, it just changes the way you're playing a little bit. You're not as focused on doing your defensive job. You're not sitting in and really frustrating. You're trying to figure things out on the fly, and I think it opens up opportunities for Bayern, and Bayern are more than willing to take them.
1: They are indeed. And I don't know if I'm writing this narrative in my head, but I'm watching Haaland sitting on the bench For the last half hour of this game and I'm thinking what's going through his mind here is it that oh I should have another few seasons in Dortmund or is it we can't you know we've tried our best and we're not even getting a result in this game where we were two goals to the good I think I'm going to go to Man City next season. It feels like he was kind of writing, writing the next part of his story while sitting with that body language on the bench there. So maybe I'm just, uh, that's my fan fiction. I'm writing in my head. But uh.
2: I mean, it's not helped by his incoming manager losing again this weekend. <laughs> like it's, there's that, like, it's not even like, well, at least the person who's coming in has his club second in the table. It's like, oh, they're in sixth now and in free fall? Yeah.
1: Great. That feels familiar. Yeah, yeah, not uh yeah, uh, not 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 good outlook for Haaland you could argue uh, if he's going to stay in a yellow and black. Oh, excuse shirt. me, they're in 10th. Gladbach are in 10th. My mistake. Even better. Even better. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> no oh kiss boy. From a Rose from Haaland. Uh, but uh, Robert <laughs> Lewandowski you mentioned there who uh, very very impressive in this game, but I, I might be unpopular here in the in the same way as I was with my Anthony Anthony Martial opinion, but I didn't think he was amazing in this game because he got I scored a penalty and sort of a tap-in from Leroy Sane's hard work of getting the ball to him. Mm-hmm. And I know you've got to be in that position to score that goal, blah, blah, blah. But I felt like Lewandowski had some spells in this game where he wasn't great and he had a few off, off-target off attempts. And this wasn't vintage Lewandowski, even though he came away with, you know, all those goals and, and basically winning the game for them. Am I Am I wildly off track there, Taylor? I don't think so, but I think that's also like, and again, this may be Like, ignorance,
2: I will own that up front, but I have long felt like it's tough to say what Robert Lewandowski does that makes him next level. Like, I don't think of him as elite when it comes to speed or acceleration. Obviously, his TikTok dancing puts him into that next category (laughs) of top, top top-tier players, but, like, I don't think of him as, like, as physically imposing as Erling Haaland. Like, yes, he's still a big guy, but it's not to that level of, like, oh, that's obviously, like, a a strength of his. He just seems so well-rounded. Yeah but so difficult to to lock down to nail down it's not one foot dominant oh don't let him get into aerial challenges oh don't let him have the ball at his feet don't let him like uh like shift to one side and then shift to the other like there's no specific thing he does that i think makes him next level better than everybody else. He just seems so good in so many different moments that, yeah, you're right. Like It's not as though he takes on the entire team and scores the goal and that breaks Dortmund apart. It's just that he keeps putting himself in good positions to score, and then he does. He doesn't really miss in my mind. I continue to think that he and Benzema are in that category. Benzema had a few misses this weekend, so maybe Benzema's one tier down. But it's just if you need somebody to score a goal and they're 12 yards out with the ball at their feet, I feel like I want that to be Robert Lewandowski more than I want that to be anybody else.
1: Yeah, him or Luke Shaw, I think, is who you want at the moment <laughs> in that situation. So very very good, very good. One other player I would um, like to mention from Bayern Taylor is uh, Leon Gretzka, who I think, you, if I'm, memory serves mm-hmm. me correct, you mentioned him as one of the three most underrated players in Europe. I think that's how you phrased it. He was pretty outstanding in this game. Lots, You know, really strong on the ball, lots of intelligence and a, and a great goal to boot as well. Were you impressed with him? Of
2: course, the one time finish, the volley, yeah, I mean, like that always makes me happy when a uh, when a sort of more defensive midfielder scores the volley. You got to love that. But I think if it's it's more that he's a player that doesn't just like in my mind get talked about as much. That there's so many highlight players for Bayern Munich. There's the institutions like Thomas Muller and Robert Lewandowski and Manuel Neuer. There's the exciting breakout players like Alphonso Davies. There's even like David Alaba. Is he leaving? Is he staying? Is he leaving? And I think Leon Goretzka just doesn't give you that many talking points. He's not that like exciting of a player to talk about but he should be uh not least for his like those guns he's got i mean come on now yeah
3: the the man does some bicep curls that's pretty clear his career has has taken off since he decided he was going to become the hulk which makes me think like (laughs) what what could i achieve if only i didn't drink (laughs) and no beer didn't have any sugar spent 10 hours a day in the gym with a personal trainer who probably (laughs) trained avengers yeah, I mean, easy. We could all just do that. Why don't we just all do that?
1: Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a great point, Graham. It's a great point, point. and uh, maybe we could put Nicolas Sula in that in that uh, uh, park as well with his uh, Panzer tank with Brazilian feet. I think is how we're uh, describing him these days. Uh, very, <laughs> very impressive stuff from him as well in in that right back position. Um, I, any more for any more on this game, uh, Graham? Uh, do we do we have a, a Bundesliga title
3: race? Do you think? Um, I'm going to be softer this week than you, when you asked me last week whether it was a Bundesliga title race so Ryan, my friend uh, no, there, I still don't believe there is a Bundesliga title race it is all an illusion and in time the reality will be revealed and the Bundesliga will have that lovely shield in their hands again Oh,
1: that felt like a Graham Rudman hug right there, that was a <laughs> hug in, in title race answer form, alright um, Taylor, should we, any more for this one or should we move on to our final match?
2: Just that, uh, to answer Graham's question, the reason why we can't achieve our physical, like, like uh, ideal, for me at least, is uh, Cheez-Its. That is my answer to that.
1: Uh, it's just cheese in general for me, I think. Cheese on That's everything. also fair. That's yeah. fair. That's yeah.
2: fair.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. No one's ever accused me of being cheesy, of course. We'll move on to our final game of the weekend review. It's the Madrid Derby. Atleti taking on Real Madrid at the denara Stadium, as I like to call it for no particular reason. 1-1 this one finished. Uh, a very big victory it was for Barcelona, of course, this game, uh, who will probably <laughs> be happiest with both these teams dropping points. Uh, we may not uh, necessarily agree if there's a title race in the Bundesliga. It feels like we might have one here in Spain, though Barcelona three points behind Atleti after their two-nil win at Osasuna. Uh, Real Madrid uh, remained five points behind Atleti after this one. This Graham was a fun, expansive game, wasn't it? I was surprised at how good it was considering one of the teams was Atletico Madrid.
3: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the first the first half performance from Atleti was very unlike them. It was like yeah. the, the the script was flipped entirely. It was it was Atleti who took control of. The possession and pressed high on Real Madrid and forced them into mistakes and it was Real Madrid who, for the the first half and maybe even the first hour, you could say, sat back and and and, and tried to counter. So yeah, it was it was uh, something different from Simeone. He we have seen this for, at times this season from them. They are not the the conservative. Team of pantherine villains that they were in 2014. Although yeah. uh, you know they've got Luis Suarez now, so he probably counts for at least three pantherine villains. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this this was a uh, an entertaining game. I don't. I think. You just knew when Atleti missed those chances in the second half, they probably should have been out of sight through uh, Carrasco and Suarez had a couple of chances. And and similar to the kind of Bayern, the feeling you just knew Bayern were going to come back in their game, you just knew Real Madrid were going to get a late goal here because that's what they do under Zidane. Even when they look second best and it looks like the knockout punch is coming, they find a way to get a goal and, and uh, yeah, Benzema got that goal. They are inevitable
1: indeed. It was an impressive, uh, impressive game from Atleti. An impressive start, definitely. They very much looked in command. It seemed like they had the balance of play on their side and uh, plenty of chances. Uh, Kieran Trippier on his return often looking pretty dangerous and often quite open as well. And and there was a lot of intensity from Atleti, which I say I thought was quite surprising in the, the way they were going forward as well. But Taylor, this was a this was a a situation where I wasn't sure about um, um, Diego Simeone's plan in terms of maybe his substitutions. They were, you know, they were outplaying Real in this game and then you know, there's plenty of high, high pressure. And then who, who comes on? It was, it was, uh, Saul. Con- Sa- Saul comes on Gel Felix and Kondogbia uh, mm. and re- replacing Lamar and Carrasco in particular. <laughs> and that felt like it really changed the game and they started to drop back and that's when they let Real Madrid yep. pounce. I
0: mean,
2: yeah, I think uh, Thomas Lamar in that first half keeps popping out in the left hand channel. He keeps doing a really good job of applying pressure at the right moments and hassling Madrid and not letting them get very comfortable. Saul does his best at that. I don't think he does it as well as Thomas Lamar. But then, Jao Felix, uh, as the commentators kept pointing out, just keeps doing little things that have to make Simeone furious. It's it's cutting off runs when he can maybe get on the end of it. It's like uh, pursuing a ball he shouldn't and then leaving the defense exposed. And I think you're right that those substitutions, I understand why he makes them. I understand what he's going for. And with a player like João Felix, with the money they've invested in him, you want him to come into this game and have an impact and score another goal. And yeah. it feels like, oh, okay, it's coming good. Diego Simeone's figuring it out. And in the end, it feels like this is maybe an opportunity missed, and it's João Felix... Continuing to have question marks even as he still does solve some problems or does answer some questions I, I still don't have a good read on what his best position is for this team what he does that puts them into a stronger position than they already are I yeah. understand why he doesn't start and I think Kondogbia does what he can when he comes on I think Graham Ruthven's greatest rival Graham Hunter pointed out that he was <laughs> brought on to be like a safe pair of feet and I don't know if he did that one either he dives in in the uh, series of challenges that leads to the equalizer so So, yeah, I think those substitutions
1: weren't necessarily the best. Are you, are you a rival with Graham Hunter? But just because of your names, is this is this what I'm getting and, here? I mean, I and, mean Scottish Graham. Come on, na-
3: yeah, nationality <laughs> as well. Yeah, I think it's implied.
1: It's <laughs> very much implied. Um, well, I thought Jan Oblak had a, had a very good game here as well. But the story of Atleti for me was in uh, Llorente, um, who's sort of kind of playing a number ten role in this game. He covered loads of ground. He was everywhere. I, I was very impressed with him in this game, and not least because you know he's a player who's in Dean Zidane ignored and let walk off into the sunset Graham
3: yeah of all the players that Zidane has let leave Real Madrid and there are a few quite a lot of uh, high quality players as well um some players that people think he, he should have kept hold of Kovkov Luka Jovic. um I <laughs> think Marcus Laurenti is the one he himself personally probably regrets letting leave because Marcus Laurentiis is so important to this Atleti team. Simeone, I mean, the, the turning point in Lorente's whole career, not just Atletico Madrid career, but a career as at Anfield in the Champions League last season where he scores two goals as a an attacker, basically. You know, I wouldn't even say in that game he was playing as an attack an attacking midfielder. He was an attacker in that game. Yep. And up until that point, Lorente had been a, a, seen as a holding midfielder, defensive midfielder, and Simeone has just spotted something in him that works much better further up the pitch, and and particularly in the first half, I thought the the connection between Trippier and and Laurenti was was obviously key to creating the first goal for for Atleti, where the the Trippier plays the ball into Laurenti and he has so much space to to run into. He picks a good pass in behind for for Suarez and Suarez finishes it off. And and that connection we saw a number of times throughout the game, and yeah, I, I, I think. Um, that was maybe what Real Madrid did better with their changes was that they, they did kind of cut off that, that link between those two players. Mm-hmm. Um, Fede Valverde came on in the second half and he, he was kind of playing... I, it was difficult to pinpoint where he was in the pitch, actually, because he, he was he was playing kind of like in a hybrid mid-central midfield left-wing role, but I, my, I kind of worked out that I think his primary... Purpose in that team was to cut off that link between Tripper and Lorente, and a lot of their attacks seemed to be coming down the left side uh, in that second half. Real Madrid, which is, um, you know, where where they were causing a lot of trouble. But yeah, I, 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 when you mentioned Kondogbia there, Taylor, I actually felt like I, um, him not coming on until eight minutes from the end felt like. Simeone not really trusting him mm-hmm. because I feel like Simeone in that position even though Atleti have changed this season and are a bit more expansive I feel like he puts on someone at about 70 minutes to just pro- provide a little bit of protection in front of the back four and he's got Torreira and Kondogbia to do that and neither of those players, particularly Torreira, he's hardly featured this season but Kondogbia since he's signed, he has not totally earned the trust of Simeone and the fact he only came in in the 82nd minute I thought was a sign of how he's still lacking that player to do that job for him who he really trusts. And had they had that player, Atleti maybe see this game out. And and
2: to your point, Graham, like, I, I too struggled with where exactly uh, Fede Valverde was playing when he came in. And the best way I, I had it was Madrid almost shifting to more of like a 4-4-2 diamond. And then it's different players are popping out wide to deal with different threats. But that really does limit the effectiveness of Atleti uh, trying to play through the middle, especially trying to counter through the middle. I think it, it also disrupts them trying to build out. And I think you look at uh, Zidane making changes to that midfield that have a positive impact and sort of nullify a huge threat from Atleti. And then you flip that around and look at Simeone's changes and they don't really do that. They don't help control the, the middle of the park. They don't kind of reassert authority. If anything, they sort of invite more attacks. And I think it goes a
1: long way towards explaining how this game ends up the way it does. Uh, One thing I want to give credit to is Luis Suarez as well for that finish for his goal outside of the boot, uh, which um, uh, the internet pointed out was exactly the same finish he scored on a goal in the 2015 Classico as well. Uh, And something... uh, tickled me as well was later in the game Luca Modric took a free kick and he tried it with the outside of his boot as well it's like that internet meme and I took that personally and he tried it <laughs> himself afterwards which I thought was quite hilarious but we've got to give uh, Ray Hudson some props for his uh, his, yeah. his, his uh, homespun commentary that he gave here Louis in the sky with diamonds was uh, was what he described Lewis Suarez was uh, as here what was um, the one for um, Benzema after his goal he said it was slippier, slippery as a trout in a dishwasher I don't want to know how he's discovered that Um, and also I can't remember who he was referring to but Hudson also said he's off to the races like a senator to Cancun yep
0: Yep. somebody tweeted
1: tweeted me that one that is (laughs) outstanding I
2: want to root for Luis Suarez so much, and this is not a topical reference, but uh, I will reference it whenever I can. I don't know whenever the the last time either of you saw the movie Heat was, but I feel about Luis Suarez the way Al Pacino feels about Robert De Niro in that movie, (laughs) where it's this sort of like, I know what you're doing. And I know you're very good, and I respect you for everything you're doing. But I'm taking you down, and I can't really root for you. And I and I, like that's kind of how I feel about Luis Suarez. Like that Travella is incredible. He does so many things, but fundamentally, I know like he might bite you. So th- there's there's that aspect of his game. I think there's also uh, again the rivalry. Graham Hunter was pointing out that Madrid's equalizer <laughs> comes from Suarez. Showing great control, he brings the ball down perfectly, but then it's a bad final ball in and Madrid kind of go right back down and counter. Uh, Hunter was pu- putting the blame, blame on Suarez there and I think it wasn't the best pass. But I thought overall, just his work rate, how hard he fought for everything. There's moments in the second half when he's the run- one who is single-handedly chasing down like three different players and forcing turnovers or forcing balls
1: going out of bounds. And I thought it was a great game from Suarez, less so other players for Atleti. Indeed. And why don't we give some attention to Real Madrid as well, uh, who came back into this game with Karen Benzema's goal with the assist from mm-hmm. Casemiro. Casemiro, once again, uh, a pretty outstanding performance from him, I would argue, with the one-two there for the goal, but also, you know, his gen- general play throughout this game. He does, I, I think he, I- I've held this position that he is uh, Zidane's favourite player. And with good calls, Graham, from this performance.
3: Yep, he is. Well, I would still say uh, Lucas Vazquez and also hmm. Zidane's favorite. Uh, his son might also be his favorite. Player. Fair enough. I mean, <laughs> I, prove it on the son one. Prove it. Yeah, yeah, he's got a few sons. He, you know, maybe he's not top of that, top of the list. But okay. uh, yeah, Casemiro is definitely one of Zidane's favorites and it's really important to, i mean that, that, that this isn't even a joke it, it's really important to be one of zidane's favorites at real madrid because he sticks with them he doesn't rotate them very often that midfield three has played something like 20 games in a row for real madrid that midfield three of modric and casemiro and cruz and, and um yeah the the, the 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 way casemiro has evolved his game particularly this season is really interesting he's he's so much more than a holding midfielder now which we we all knew he was a great Hold him midfielder for a number of seasons but the, the number of times he gets up particularly for set pieces headers he's a great header of the ball and knows how mm. to find space in the area and in, in this instance it wasn't a header but it was a really nice uh, kind of run in one two with Benzema inside inside the box and a crowded penalty box and uh, yeah Benzema obviously finished it off but it felt very much like uh, a product of uh, Casmino's positional awareness and just opportunism to, to know that he could press forward from, from his position into the box. Yeah.
1: Once again, when Modric, Casemiro and Kroos have a good game, they don't lose. That's how it works in Real Madrid. Uh, Taylor, any, anything else to say about either of these Madrid sides? Uh, just that we did not have uh, Jimenez
2: starting for Atleti. So we instead had Felipe, who in my app was listed as Felipe Felipe. Uh, and if we're talking favourite players, I have to assume that Felipe Felipe is Neville Neville's second favourite
3: player.
1: Well hang on. The referee's also called Alejandro yep. Hernandez Hernandez. So we had a
3: Felipe Felipe go. and Hernandez
1: Hernandez
2: on the and field a, at the same and, time.
3: And the fourth official was Gonzalez Gonzalez. So, <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right, so those are, so now so now I guess we've got uh, Neville Neville's favorite two officials and his second favorite player Gary oh. Neville being his but first now,
3: see, see, here's the thing though you said your app is listed the player as Felipe Felipe and the uh-huh. official was Gonzalez Gonzalez and the referee was Hernandez Hernandez I'm now thinking there was a glitch and <laughs> 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 and actually there weren't three guys with the same surname and and, name, and it was actually just a glitch
1: <laughs> well it was um, Hernandez Hernandez who didn't give the penalty uh, when Felipe Felipe handled it in the area as well in that but I know how we feel about talking about VR decisions on this, so I'm going to uh, quickly uh, bro, move away from that uh, discussion. Uh, why don't we, before we end the podcast, gents, a quick note on Barcelona, who, of course, we established won this game, but also they had their elections this weekend with uh, Joan Laporte uh, being elected for the second time as Barcelona's president. Uh, he's one of a few candidates who uh, who went on the controversial position of saying he would try and make Lionel Messi stay at the club. Way to push the boat out there, Joan Laporte. Um <laughs> Graham, what does this mean? Because we know that Barcelona have a team who've had a bit of disarray off the field. Is this good times ahead now that Laporte's back in charge?
3: Um, I think that remains to be seen. There are concerns with Laporta that he's maybe yesterday's man. And um, Victor Font seems to have laid out more. He was even he a second in, in the election. He he seemed to lay out more of a a plan for the future, whereas Laporta's kind of... Um, just played on how he's turned Barcelona around once before in his first spell in president and how he'll do it again but he doesn't really seem to he doesn't seem to have presented much of a plan on how he's going to do that
0: mm. but
3: certainly it's 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 more encouraging than what you know Barcelona have been facing recently I mean the, the, their, their last uh their last chief was arrested, you know, last week. So it's, it's a low bar to clear, really. But um, yeah, I thought just watching the Barcelona elections play out, I, I know that um, Barcelona haven't exactly been a paragon of football governance recently, but there was just something quite quaint about everyone and their gran and Messi and his son turning up to vote on the, who should lead a football club. And it just made me feel like mm. that's the way a football club should operate rather than being the plaything of Mike Ashley or something,
1: and and it's the way um, elections should be conducted with no uh, claims of uh, illegitimate voter fraud of any kind. Yes,
2: we'll, we'll see what happens with the other candidates. But yeah, uh, yeah, I, I agree with everything Graham said. And I would also add, I did enjoy that every photo I saw of Laporte in the lead up to the election was either him looking very serious and businesslike or like arm in arm smiling with Lionel Messi. I feel like he was really aware of what he was trying to get across with his messaging.
1: Indeed, he was. Well, uh, Leo Messi definitely going to stay for another few years in Barcelona. Now that's taken care of because uh, Barcelona presidents, when they're uh, campaigning for election, always fulfill their promises, which is why David Beckham uh, famously played for Barcelona (laughs) back in the day. Um, (laughs) Okay, I think that just about wraps up uh, our weekend review. Thank you very much, listener, for joining us on this journey. Taylor Rockwell, a pleasure to speak with you as always. Right back at you, buddy. Graham Rutherford, you'll always be my favorite Scottish Graham, but don't tell
3: Graham Hunter that. I won't mention it to him. Bye right. Bye. <laughs>